Welcome to Kizuna, a Taijin innovation podcast. Like Kizuna, the Japanese word for enduring bonds between people, we believe in the power of co-creation when it comes to developing the newest technologies of the future from a holistic perspective. My name is Francisca, I'm an innovation advisor and the host of this podcast. In our first series, we explore the evolving future of mobility. How can we envision the future of mobility? What are the opportunities and challenges and what can we learn from each other? I'm super excited to discuss these topics with the most fantastic industry experts worldwide. With me, I have our main guest, Jay Lesson. Hey, <laughs> Jay, you are the emerging technology strategist and fusionist when it comes to the topics of mobility and AI. You have led global initiatives for the future of manufacturing, sustainability, and the circular economy. You travel worldwide, meeting the minds of the future and setting the spark. Um, welcome, Jay. Could you please tell us a little bit more about yourself and how are you today? Hey, hello. Well, uh, it's an exciting topic in general. Mobility is uh, not really about the choice or the transportation itself. Mobility is to have a choice to go wherever you want, however you want, and what kind of transportation you take with you. So here, um, this is, of course, something very exciting. We are living, living in exciting times and challenging times as well. But uh, in general, we have this huge shift away from combustion engines towards electrification. We see more interconnectivity. We see smartification of our vehicles. We see a radical shift. And this is as well implications on how we deal with these devices. How will we experience them? How do they experience us? So here it means simply to go along and to find the best fitting solution for any kind of, uh, well, client or industry. We have another guest for this episode, um, Mike Svajek, VP of R&D at Tajan Automotive Technologies. Welcome, Mike. You have 20 years of experience in the industry. Um, how are you today? And could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? I'm good today. Thanks for having me in this. This is really exciting for me to, to be a part of this. Um, yeah, I've been in the in the industry, as you said, for over 20 years, and it really seen it evolve um, from just, you know, niche market for our parts to being, you know, on global global programs and really watched the trans transition of the of the transportation market, um, you know, from from just standard standard auto, you know, ice engines to uh, light weighting, and now we're we're transitioning into this electrification. So it's an exciting time. A lot of innovation has to happen to Super to exciting. meet all the needs, but uh, we're trying. We got a good young team that uh, is working very hard to get there. Yeah. Before diving into um, the future with both of you, I really wanted to go one step back. Um, Let's look at the pandemic and what this, you know, changed into the mobility landscape. So what did we learn from the pandemic? How did our mindset change here? Um, and maybe, Mike, you can start, um, you know, um, how did you experience the pandemic? Well, from a from a from from a broad perspective, from the transportation side, you know, at, at least in the United States, because I think there's a lot less public transportation. It's a lot more individual. The um, you know the roads were pretty empty for for a year or so. It was very interesting to see how how people adapted to, to being at home, and then now it's starting to come back quite quite strong. 
Um, as far as uh, uh, an industry is concerned, we never really stopped. You know, the vehicles that we were that we we're parts of really never stopped being produced by our, our customers. So we were trying to work remotely and still keep our factories running, which was a real challenge. And the big challenge moving forward is just that uh, the workforce never really came back. A lot of people stayed home. And so now we're trying to keep up with large volumes and not many people to make the, make parts. So um, that's the biggest challenge right now. But then also we have the, the transition to electrification where we're trying to figure out how, to, how, we, have, how we fit onto those vehicles and, um, and work with our customers to get what they need and, and innovate um, somewhat remotely. But, you know, my team's always, we have equipment, so we were allowed to be here. But most other people yeah. outside of the hands-on people stayed home. So it's, a, it's an mm -hmm. interesting time and we'll see where it goes. How is working remotely when innovating? Was there a change? You know, was it difficult for the people not meeting face to face? What would you say? Yeah, I mean, like I said, my team. Um, since we have, we have to be hands on with with what we're doing. Um, so they were allowed to come in, but had to isolate and and take precautions. But you know, for someone like me and you know people that were managing it, we're really we were at home on Teams meetings, like you know, kind of like we are now, and um, just just trying to make sure we we kept the priorities straight and kept people moving forward and start and met the timelines that were necessary. And I think uh, large, by and large, people did a really, really fantastic job. So, um, and you know, my team is mostly, I call them kids, um, but uh, <laughs> they, um, you know, they're, they're a lot more tech savvy and, and uh, able to, to utilize those tools that, you know, dinosaurs like me aren't, aren't so good at. So. Yeah. Jay, what do you say, you know, like the pandemic, of course, it was a huge um, event, you know, um, where did you see the impacts um, now and for the future? Well, the pandemic showed us as first our limits. It showed us, are we prepared or not? Um, it was not the first pandemic, it's not the only one and it will not be the last one. So here, any kind of findings, any kind of how can we proceed in the future are, of course, a necessary lesson and are welcome. The thing is that, how Mike already said, we've seen empty roads. We've seen, for example, these famous pictures that uh, Venice became completely, well, unpolluted. When you've been able to see um, through, through, through the water, the ground, um, what we've seen after the pandemic is um, how fast we can pollute it again. Um, yeah. The necessary shifts in the transportation itself that are required for to fight the climate change, to um, somehow deal with our next future, is of course that public transportation, which is necessary, started to be empty. When people had to go somewhere, They've been using more intensely their private vehicles. But, um, well, remote work, we'll see. Um, this whole thing around the necessary infrastructure. When you've seen, for example, in homeschooling, uh, the children sitting in the snow in the garden because the connectivity was in the garden, the best being completely uh, covered by, by sheets and so on, simply to participate in school. This is as well something that um, needs to be repaired for the next future. The afterwards implications were quite interesting to see how this emptiness of the streets, how switching to alternatives now start to recover again. 
but with the whole supply chain issues, with uh, um, going down with your production, with uh, what came after the pandemic, semiconductor shortage, now the war, when raw materials are being, let's say, not so available or not for the prices that we used to, to, to have. Here we see that, for example, uh, the, the waiting times if for an average German premium, you wait something around 18 months. So the people started to shift in their own, um, in their own um, behavior, in their own consumption. So as well as some kind of, of minimalism, pandemic-induced minimalism came onto the surface mm -hmm. when your closet is full of stuff and you cannot wear it. Mm -hmm. so that you start to focus on quality instead of quantity how can we use this mindset and the shift you know in the mindset for the evolving mobility for the future mobility when you think about all these niches that will arise um, in the near future so the people already experienced remote work unconditional remote work they have experienced that they don't need a closet full of stuff. They don't need too much of, of anything. Um, they experience right now as well with um, not having fully access to a new car when they want to have one, so that they use their old devices slightly longer. So the implications here is long, uh, longevity, longevity, for example. It needs, uh, it needs robustness. It needs modularity. It mm -hmm. needs um, as well sharing. Mm -hmm. What we've seen is that the people are massively ready to share things. Mm. Um, super interesting. I mean, Mike, maybe you can tell us a little bit more um, about the current hottest trends that you see, especially in the automotive industry, because um, you're an expert there. Um, what do you see and where does it go, you know, maybe even from a material perspective? Well, as Jay said, I think, I think we, have to, we have to shift out of necessity. So whatever, you know, it, this is an opportunity is how we have to look at it. It is an opportunity to, to shift our, the paradigm that we've always had and move towards something that's, that's different and out of necessity. Um, people don't like to change, um, but when we're forced to, we adapt pretty quickly. And so if we utilize this as, as a time to be able to, to you know, in, um, inform people and say, you know, we have to think about this moving forward. You know, the supply chain, as Jay mentioned, is a, is a huge problem right now. I mean, and it hasn't gotten better. In fact, it's gotten worse because I think what happened is in the pandemic, a lot of people figured, oh, we're not going to be manufacturing. We're shutting down when, when in fact, that wasn't the case. Uh, a lot of people kept manufacturing and and there was still a demand. You know, I think at the beginning of the pandemic, I know at least in my house with my family and, and people around me, a lot of people just started, you know, being online and purchasing things. You know, I, I'll, let's buy this. I'm online shopping all day because I have nothing better to do. And, you know, and what you saw in the U.S. is there's a lot of um, a lot less people going out and doing things where now you have all these delivery services for groceries and, and packages and whatever it might be that um, the Amazon trucks are flooding the market. You know, you see them up and down our street seven days a week. And, um, so is that how we move forward? Is, is it where people are staying home and, and utilizing services more than doing it themselves? So that would, you know, that would change the, uh, you know, the consumer vehicle market. 
or maybe it's more of a, you know, an industrial market or, or, or a fleet vehicle type market. So, you know, that, I think that's evolving and we try to stay, stay with it. But again, the, the supply chain is still very, very, very fragile. Um, and what, what I think it's caused a lot of companies to start to focus on, okay, what happened during the pandemic? Because as Jay said, it's, it's not the last pandemic. It's the last, not the last disruption we're going to have to our market. So we need to be ready for the next one. And I don't think we'll be fully ready, but I think we understand our business a little better um, and looking for backup supply and, and alternate supply and alternate ideas to, to do it differently, um, but also to be prepared for the financial um, financial mm-hmm. crash that you get because inflation was was a huge hit to everybody's bottom line and we're still we're still dealing with that today. So there's a lot of things to worry about, but I think it it brought into focus some of the things we need we need to concentrate on and, and understand a little better. Hmm. How would the ideal supply chain look like? You know, what are your ideas when it comes to this topic? It doesn't have to be perfect, but like maybe to both of you, Mike, you can start and, and then, yeah. Yeah. So for us being a global company, um, you know, we manufacture on, on uh, three, four continents and, and we, a lot, a lot of our, our systems are proprietary. So we work with one supplier here in the U.S. and they they are providing a proprietary solution to us. And now I have to get it to China or I have to get it to, to France and mm-hmm. manufacture it there. Well, shipping is not easy right now, as, as with everything else. It, you know, the time is doubled. So to get something that has a shelf life from, you know, from the U.S. to Europe or China, um, by the time it gets there, sometimes it's expired or it gets stuck in customs and, and they're trying to meet their customers demand. So the first for us, the first thing to do is look at localization of raw materials. So can we get something similar or the same or by the same company or through partnerships uh, without, you know, without um, hindering the, the proprietary nature of it, uh, but also getting them what they need and being able to manufacture this, the same thing. You know, we say same, but, you know, it's got to be, you know, when BMW wants something in Germany, they want the same thing in the U.S., same thing in, in Asia. You can't give them three different products. You know they're all tested, you know, for six to ten months, and each part. And you you can't just make a quick substitution. It's not that easy. So that's a, that's a big challenge. But localization and, and just trying to work very closely with the supply base and the customer base. You know they've been they understand the the trouble we're having because they're having the same trouble. So uh, we work as partners now, which is actually refreshing. Mm. Cool. So working more together rather than against. Mm-hmm. MJ, uh, what do you think about this? Well, Mike mentioned two very important things. The first is what he called localization. When um, we've been here in, in, in our think tank um, dealing with how should the future look like? How should the global supply chain look like in the future? We've been exploring trends like what we call here distributed manufacturing. So this localization means, in fact, that you are having reliable partners around your manufacturing where you simply can get the local talents, you onboard them, you 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 share, of course, your knowledge. The second important thing that uh, Mike mentioned is partnerships. These times of this, this radical competition, they are over without without collaboration, cooperation, this high-end complexity that we see currently in our supply chains, we cannot survive. So here it goes really more into um, working together, 
there is enough space for everyone. So here to implement an ecosystemic thinking. So besides of distributed manufacturing, having uh, this, this ecosystemic thinking to find the right talents, like in a puzzle piece and simply when you need an add-on, when you need to change something, you can get another piece that fits a bit better into this overall um, ecosystem. Yeah, makes sense. Um, Mike, I really want to dive a little bit more into um, the materials, right? Maybe you have an example for, for me and our listeners, you know, to understand this a little bit more. Is there anything you are, um, yeah, you really see the future, you know, in like from a material perspective? Is there something we can talk about to really understand um, what composites mean in this automotive uh, industry? Well, yeah, for, for sure. So, you know, the, it's funny how we, we've shifted in, in just a few short years. You know, two or three years ago, we were working on the, you know, in the U.S. was called CAFE. It was a 56.5 mile per gallon um, standard that was being set by the government. So by 2025, we were supposed to all be at 56.5 miles per gallon. So we were all running very fast towards that. And then the pandemic hit. And now it's, you know, it's, it's a pivot to electrification. Um, so everything we did was, I wouldn't say it was useless, but it was, you know, it was set off to the side. But for, a, for composites, they all fit together because composites, are, you know, they lend themselves to lightweight technology. So lightweight is, is good for fuel, fuel economy, but also for electrification. So these batteries, if you haven't seen them, they're, they're very large and they're very heavy. So the more weight we can take out of a vehicle, um, the, the better the ranges of, of, a, of a battery. Um, so that, that's important, but also, um, composites lend themselves to being very flexible for design and manufacturing and, and for lower cost tooling than, than us. And they also have, we can put chemistry into the materials that wouldn't have to be added on. For example, if you had an aluminum battery tree, you might have to put some sort of coating on the outside to make it uh, flame retardant or protective and where we can actually put that chemistry right into the material and be net shape we don't have to stamp it and worry about seams and leaking and things like that we can actually mold it into a shape so um but one thing that as as Tejin being a, a, a very big materials type company is we can focus on multi-material so we can look at you know we have a good piece over here you know so in the u.s what what my group does what Tejin automotive is very big in is body panels so if you look at um we do the entire body of the uh, exterior of the Corvette and exterior. We're on a, a, there's a Lotus vehicle being being manufactured now, and we're 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 very, always been very big in that. Um, and now we can adapt those underbody and in interior parts. And what we're really working on right now, you ask about the future, is battery enclosures. So the current battery technologies are can be dangerous if uh, they're short-circuited or get wet. So what we, we create a battery enclosure that has um, uh, flame retardant properties for what they call thermal runaway. So we are very successful with that. And it, it's a very big product globally for us. In China, I think we're with 30, we have over 30 vehicles that we're on. And in the US, it's starting to grow and in Europe as well. So my team is working very hard on that because there's a lot of very um, difficult chemistry to, to figure out. And um, a lot of the market changes very quickly. You know, we had, we, uh, a, a year ago we had one test and then everybody said, oh, that test is an important mirror. Now we have this new test and we're like, wait, we've been working for three years to pass that one test. And now you tell us in two months, oh yeah, you're on this vehicle, but now you got to pass this test. So you have to be very flexible, but you know, adapt very quickly. And, and again, be, be communicative with your customers and your supply base because as the market changes, we all have to think together and shift 
Um, oh, and oh, by the way, get raw materials that we don't have. So, you know, Jay, I, I was going to mention, Jay mentioned about being collaborative and not being competitive. In the U.S., we had a very big shortage in a certain raw material just recently, and we were actually calling a lot of our competitors, and we were sharing raw materials because, you know, we, we compete, but not directly on a lot of things. And to keep the industry moving forward, you know, we, yeah, we have, we can, we can help you here if you can help us there. And yeah. it's been an interesting, interesting time where you're seeing a lot of competitors work on, you know, trying to help each other out just to keep everything moving forward for our market. And, the, the, you know, that, that also lends, you know, sustainability is becoming a big challenge for composites. Yeah. And we're all trying to work together and say, how do we work together to keep us relevant? as the future comes. So mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's, it's an exciting time, but it, it's, it's challenging as well. Yeah. Maybe Jay, um, what does it mean for the user, you know, like me, for example, you know, what does these um, new materials mean really? Um, what would you say? Well, what does it mean for you? Mm -hmm. One aspect from the pandemic that we've seen is, of course, in the beginning, everyone was scared, like, how is it with the virus on surfaces? Um, how does it, how long does it stay on metal, on leather, on paper, and so on? So here, of course, one need um, in the whole transportation sector that came up is um, sanitization, self-disinfectant su uh, surfaces, self-cleaning surfaces. Um, is it uh, something uh, that will be treated with ultraviolet light if it's in, in the C bandwidth, if we use heat treatment, if we use some kind of, of steam, whatever. So many people came along and tried to figure out what might be the best solution. This is as well implications on the materials, because if you use massively ultraviolet light, then maybe your leather starts to become crumpy, starts to age faster. Mm -hmm. If you use, uh, let's say, some kind of steam treatment or heat treatment, you cannot leave your groceries in the vehicle. Or, or how is it, for example, if you leave your pet in, in inside? So many, many questions that needed to be answered immediately. This is where the main magic from material science, and in my opinion, the next future will be heavily dominated by any kind of material science company because lightweighted, because sustainability are not just whitewashing or, or greenwashing terms, not anymore. We mm -hmm. have to face it. Um, I know one automotive um, player that started because of these shortages of, of, uh, of uh, raw materials that, that are becoming more and more expensive. He started simply to buy out his former competition. If you have a German premium vehicle from the mid 90s, um, the alloys are different than what we use now. So the materials back in time were purer. So you can take, let's say, the platinum from a catalyst from one of these mid 90s vehicle and produce five normally or right now modern uh, uh, made catalysts. So they are trying to bypass through reusing, so they are really living this, this circular economy right now, um, because what is waste from the one can be a valuable resource for the other. Um, mm -hmm. We are dealing with um, um, cooling all of our electronics. Um, connected smart vehicles have a tremendous compute power inside. It needs to be cooled. So here we can 
uh, embed into these systems with uh, meta materials or with 3D or printable materials, micro groovings, um, small channels to cool the batteries, the electronics, and so on. So many, many things are uh, uh, coming into the game. What does it mean for you as, uh, as end user, more or less, is hopefully um, affordability. Because if we can on demand get the right, um, right uh, uh, materials for you, it will be an easier thing instead of adapting, coating, whatever, doing some kind of magic simply to make it, uh, but even then uh, erasing uh, an overall complexity. So the more you can tailor materials, the more lightweight they can be. This means less, uh, less raw materials to be used. It can be lighter, it can be more affordable, and of course, therefore, easier to access. Great, super, super interesting. Um, Mike, one last thing um, about developing these materials. Um, what would you say, where do the biggest difference lie? You know, I mean, from Japan to the US, you just said it, you know, um, where are the difference at the moment and where are some challenges that we need to overcome? Because we talked about partnerships already, but like, you know, where are um, the challenges at the moment in these like, countries? Well, as the as the markets evolve, um, they they evolve at different speeds. So China was quick to embrace electrification, and um, you know I was just reading about the European Commission just put out a, a report about that you know at the Paris Paris show that was mostly Chinese vehicles there because they're there already, and and people are still the other automotive suppliers in the in Europe and the U.S. are still trying to decide where they want to go. You know, GM and Volkswagen went full in on electrification, um, where you see someone like Toyota saying, well, it's not all about electrification. It's it's about carbon neutral. It's about trying to find good solutions for um, to meet these 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 uh, sustainability goals. Um, so I think we're, we're going to start to see a little bit of diversification in how people attack these problems. Um, you know, is it is it hydrogen fuel cells? Is it you know, is it hybrids? You know, hybrids, there's still, well, I think what, what we're going to find is, you know, we're, there's a lot of mandates out there right now, but there's not enough, lith, you know, battery grade lithium and nickel to go around uh, if everybody goes to the, these, these batteries. So, you know, how do we adapt to that? Um, and then is, you know, and people are smart, they're going to find other ways around that. So you're going to look at, you know, solid state batteries may come along and we're not going to need these big flame retardant materials that I'm making now, you know, so how do I, how do I prepare myself and be ready for the, for what's next? So we have to be in touch with our customers and we have to work directly with them. Um, what I'm seeing in, in all, all um, markets right now is there's a lot of government funding of, of uh, innovation. So, you know, we are on projects here in the United States that are funded by the Department of Energy, and we're working with our, our customers as the OEM and our supply base. And there are these, you know, consortiums or collaborations where we're all working towards a single problem. The same thing's happening in Europe. Um, the, the European OEMs are very, very keen to work with their supply base to get the solutions they need that they think they need. And then in Asia, you know, China can sometimes be a little bit uh, rogue, but, um, you know, we have to adapt because they just they don't sometimes they don't question they just do and then we gotta we gotta respond and figure out you know what are the repercussions of that so um you know i guess i'm going around your question but it, it's different in all in all in all different all regions so we have to stay 
in touch with all of our, our global entities, you know, especially like Tejin. But um, so we all understand what we're all working on. We have to be communicative. We have, you know, we can't hide from each other that we're trying, we want to take credit. There's no nothing about credit anymore. It's mm -hmm. what's best for the company um, and what's best for the consumer, what's best for the market and what's best for the, the earth, you know. I think we need to be a lot more responsible than we have been and, in the past. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, you have to have that, you have to have a conscience about what you're doing. And, and I think it's the, the pandemics forced us to do that. Um, you know, we just hope it doesn't go backwards. We're going to keep moving forwards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what would you say, Jay? Like, what do you think, like, zooming out you know let's ask the fusionist um uh, what would you say are the differences from your perspective so um i see a huge a huge difference between a data aware automotive player and a classic company that um, more or less lost its core competence. The, the core components of, of uh, classic automotives was the combustion engine. This is something we all agree is done. So here right now, the refocus onto software-defined vehicles to figure out how these new vehicle architectures should look like. This is the key right now to understand the value of data and out of this to understand a uh, platform standardization to deal with this. Um, sharing um when mike mentioned um that competition now is being a bit overcome right now that they are more working together i can i observe this as well here um a second big trend that we see here is uh, called uh, shared manufacturing um when one of these automotive players has a platform that is offering on the market that can uh, that it can be reused so re-monetizing your, your platform, which means, of course, if you use already my platform, hey, use my manufacturing facility. I mean, development of a vehicle costs $800 million. Um, a manufacturing facility, additional 1.2 till 1.6 billion. So, of course, we need to keep all of this stuff ongoing. If we cannot produce the full amount of vehicles, we need to share these capa uh, capacities. So this is, of course, one thing. Where I'm not so positive um, is um, the profit orientation. Mm -hmm. The radical profit orientation does not work anymore because this is where majority of our problems comes around the corner. So here a bit more into what is enough. How can we collaborate, cooperate and co-create? So this is the, the, the trend towards future to uh, set up a different baseline uh, to meet the needs. When Mike um, mentioned um, towards the custom, towards the planet, super important. I fully agree. Right now, we still struggle a bit. And um, when he mentioned uh, fuel cells, hybrids and so on, completely right. In, let's say, north of Europe, we need a different type of mobility than in south of Europe, than in the Emirates, than in the US. It's simply there is not a one size fits all solution anymore. So here it really comes into what do we really need? How can we make it modular as possible to fit even in the future the needs? Feels like the people really become centered to these problems, right? Like what fits the people yes. in the end as well. Um, let's zoom out even more, you know, like let's dive deep into the future. So we said, okay, 
let's turn mobility into an infrastructure, right? Um, Mike, how do you envision mobility 2050? Like, where, what do you see, you know, on the streets? Um, where do you see yourself? Um, yeah. Yeah, the U.S. is a, is a funny beast. Um, you know, people like their big cars, people like their power. But, you know, if you've driven some of these electric vehicles, they're they're very fun to drive. They're they're you know, mm -hmm. you have you have the motors on each wheel and they're instant torque and you you are going from zero to fast very quickly. So I think people once they get past the, you know, the the change, they're going to embrace it. Um, I, I would, you know, personally would like to see, I love going to Europe and Asia and, and using public transportation. I just think it's so convenient and so smart. And, um, but in the U S it's just, it's not one, it's not, um, it's not something anybody's very interested in, but two, it's, it's very difficult because as you said, there's no infrastructure. Um, so to build all that infrastructure takes, takes a lot of money and a lot of people and a lot of time and, and, and some vision and people to agree on things. And in our country, we don't have a lot of agreement right now. Um, so I still see a, a personal transportation market. I think, you know, they're, they're even, even, you know, Uber, everybody's an Uber driver now. So, but they're still using their own vehicles. So um, it, it's, uh, there'll still be a vehicle market. I see it shrinking. And what we've seen, at least in, with our customer bases, we're seeing smaller volumes and i think jay mentioned it of of more uniform architectures that they, they put a little a, a little twist on for each, each specific vehicle um or, or intent intent for the vehicle so um i i think we're going to start seeing uh, a better understanding of how this electrification will work and where the you know what's available and how how do we can we do battery technology for such a, a large number of vehicles because as these ice engines start to these vehicles start to, um, you know, go to junkyards or be recycled. We have to find what's next. So um, it's it's a big challenge. Uh, I think you know we we really I don't I I'm really working on, on the the what's next and, and trying to adapt. But looking farther out, it, it's it's diff, it's a difficult picture because it's different in all the all the different uh, regions for us. So. But still, there's a lot of opportunity in it, I guess. Oh, know? for sure, yeah. Especially there's a lot to do. Now, from the material perspective, um, yeah, I mean, Jay, um, what would you say? Like, how do you envision mobility in 2050? Um, funny thing, I had recently a workshop um, in one of the Middle East uh, um, areas to describe or to answer exactly these kind of questions. So what we will see is definitely more smartification. We will have a higher density of connectivity where vehicles have to talk with each other, where they have to, uh, to talk with the infrastructure. Um, public transportation in Europe is fun. Um, there is definitely potential for more. Um, Areas like in the US, for example, here I see a huge potential for self-driving vehicles that simply without the Uber driver will drive you wherever you need. Um, so this personal connectivity, we talk here about cocooning. When you enter a vehicle and simply everything what you are familiar to do simply follows you. It's part of your personal ecosystem. So here having these connected vehicles um, that can adapt onto your needs where the most important is however a smartphone in the future will look like. But this will stay the most important. You will order it, 
your only concern will be can i afford premium or do i pay just the the the, the cheaper price if it mm -hmm. swims if it flies if it submerges if it drives how many wheels it will have you will not really care if we can set up, let's say in the US, we have this, uh, this very strong initiatives towards uh, Hyperloop. So this kind of super fast uh, transportation method, we'll see. An additional, um, additional potential is in advanced air mobility. When uh, in the US, this Pony Express feeling, hopping from one uh, small point to another to get fast across the, the, the country might be something with smaller uh, devices that can carry, let's say, up to five or nine passengers and simply providing multiple services, connecting all of these different small regional airports and airfields. Um, mm -hmm. We see in Amsterdam were tested autonomous boats, so-called rowboats, where you simply call via an app uh, um, one of these devices and it drives you across the channels wherever you need to be. So we will see a Cambrian explosion of mobility devices serving the necessary needs they're again not a one-size-fits-all maybe in california will be a slightly different uh, um, infrastructure for mobility than in texas fair mm -hmm. enough it's okay as long we as consumers will have a seamless mobility app that we do not need to install in in in, in every city something specific it mm -hmm. needs to be seamless and of course, my personal well-being, my personal mobility behavior needs to be served by this. Yeah. Otherwise, everything else is irrelevant. We will find a solution. Yes. And going even more into the future, does a car, you know, transportation look like a car now, right? What can we do in this space when we move from A to B? That's also really interesting, I think. Um, how will this change, right? What we do... Um, with spaces there, um, also with parking spaces, because there will be a lot of parking spaces in the future as well. Um, one last question that I have is, um, you know, from a very personal perspective, right? Um, what are you most excited about when you think about um, the evolving mobility? Um, maybe, Mike, you can start. Um, and yeah, try to keep it personal, because I feel like this is something has to do with excitement, and I really want to know your thoughts on this. Um, and yeah. Oh, I don't know. Uh, excitement. Uh, I, I'm a pretty boring person. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I do, like I mentioned, I, I do like, you know, new technology and um, trying to stay, you know, with with something interesting and different. You know, it, it's always fun to to, to move on to what's next. Um, you know, my car is seven, eight years old now, and I, I'm starting to shop for the next one. And I'm, 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 I'm weighing that. Do I go full electric, full hybrid, uh, or a hybrid or stay with an, one last ice engine, you know, and it, you know, you want to be responsible, but you want the best, but in shopping for that, you're, I'm seeing some really interesting, as Jay said, the, the, the smart features of the of the new vehicles, you know, I was just at a, I was at an award show this week and they had the, a new Rivian, uh, all electric SUV and some of the con connectivity and, and the options within the, the passenger car are just so fascinating how quickly, you know, where did this come from? I, you know, this was a new company a few years ago and, you know, we work with them on certain vehicles and then you're seeing these, these beautiful interiors with vegan leather and, you know, a lot of different features in the vehicle. I, you know, I'm still a little skeptical about, at least in the U.S., about um, autonomous driving because we're such a litigious society that, 
the OEMs are very skittish about that right now. So, um, but it will get there. It's just gonna, I think it's a little slower here, but those are the kind of things where, you know, as you start to interact with your vehicle and it, it's more personalized, that's exciting to me. And, you know, and again, I like technology. I like, I, I like the, the new and, and shiny and, and, and uh, yeah. so, so it's, it's fun to see what's next and get out there and check it out. And then, you know, eventually I'll pull the trigger and buy something, but, uh, um, no, that's that's really for me what's interesting. And I have I have four children, and they're all, you know, they're young and idealistic, and they're they're more about you know you know the, the economy or the ecology of it and the the sustainability and just as Jay said, you know, I need to get from here to there. How do I get there? And what's the easiest and you know, least obtrusive way for me to get there? Um, it doesn't have to be a cool car that, that Dad wants. It, it just has to get me there. So. Um, I like to watch my kids and see how, how, how life evolves for them. Cause it's, it's obviously going to be different than, than what, yeah. uh, what we're doing, but, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting time. Um, as, as an R and D guy, it's always, it's always interesting because there's always a new challenge right around the corner that, um, that we, we like to solve problems. That's, you know, if we're not solving problems, we're bored. So let, let's have more problems that, but good problems, not bad problems. Like, like no more supply chain issues. No, thank you. Let's, let's work on, you know, inventing something new. Cause that's fun. Wonderful. Yeah. It was great having you. I think, um, yeah. Thank you so much, um, for, for your time as well. And maybe Jay, you could, you could say your answer to this question. Like, what are you most excited about when you think about the future, um, or the evolving mobility, um, from your perspective? Well, I'm a crazy person. So I need to experience things. Otherwise, I cannot have a valid opinion about it. So as long as I'm on this planet, I've been trying out things. So I have, for example, a boating license. I love to sail. I have as well a pilot license simply to, to, to get an idea, to see this beauty, to experience it by myself. Um, of course, as well, driving all of these ground-based vehicles. So what I see for the future, what excites me, really very much is that there might be following the sustainability and eco-friendly approach that we might have an era back again with zeppelins all of these airships that uh, even right now some people are thinking about to revive sail ships for cargo transportation so it will be a huge mixture of possibilities when we are looking into uh into urban space beside of public transportation. I've seen, for mm -hmm. example, in Berlin recently, a small vehicle that uh, is a two-seater where you sit in a tandem configuration. Um, it feels like a jet. So when you are driving faster, the vehicles extend a bit so that you are more stable. Um, but still, two of these vehicles can share one lane, one direction. So this is really something uh, that shows me we are we've not became too lazy we are still ready to reinvent to rethink it just needs to be sexy enough to be accepted on the market but me personally um beside of public transportation so the basic need to go from a to b we will see as well personal let's say um, a personal statement so i'm guessing if we ever will have fully autonomous vehicles on the streets um people will shift towards analog mobility when they want to have this feeling of freedom. So more motorcycles, really getting away from this digital that is just this, this mm -hmm. infrastructure. And if, one, if you want to express yourself, have mm -hmm. fun, 
that you will bicycle a bit more, ride a motorcycle, or do whatever you want. Mm. Isn't it that also like the sound of the motorcycle really leads to this like uh, feeling of freedom? I was just uh, hearing that Hans Zimmer is uh, is com composing like music for an electric car, you know? So like, mm -hmm. I think people are trying with autonomous driving, but in the end, you know, a motorcycle is a motorcycle and it makes a certain sound that really gives that idea of freedom. Um, yeah, I'm super um, yeah impressed, you know, that you shared your thoughts with me. Um, and um, yeah, I, I cannot only like, thank you, Mike, for being here. Um, I know it's like morning where you are, right? Yeah, it's morning, but it's I'm here. This is normal time for me. So it was, yeah. it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much um, and uh, speak soon. Um, and yeah, finally, I mean, um, for me, this really was super interesting. What really stood out for me is like, we need to build um, an infrastructure, turning mobility into an infrastructure that really differs from place to place. Um, we need to work together, um, not only as companies and partners, but maybe also as humans, right? Um, to really develop the newest technologies of tomorrow for the future. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed having you here today as well. Um, do you have something like a last thought, you know, for the audience um, that you would like to share? Of course. Um, on the one hand, it's the mission of this vodcast. And you've mentioned it several times, the human. So here, every kind of finding that we had in the past, that even right now shows us where our limits are, are it's for humans from humans. This will become one of the most important imperatives for the future. We are one. We are one on this planet. So this means we have to behave like we love the planet and we love to each other. So from humans, for humans, and let's explore what the uh, what the future keeps us for us, right? Yeah, I think so as well. There are many more topics that we're going to explore here at Kazuna. And as you said, I think the circular economy, sustainability are not only words, you know, they are the reality and we have to live them. And the selection of materials could be one thing, you know, or is a very important key element, I would say, that leads the way um, in this transformation. So I'm super excited to speak to other industry experts worldwide in the next episodes. Thank you so much for having me. Please feel free to get in touch with us um, if you have any suggestions. And um, if you want to talk about the newest technologies, you can always contact us. Thank you so much for having us and have a great day.